assumptions and stories that we tell ourselves in our head that we believe to be true. This must be true if that person is this, then that equals that. And it's just not the case. I'm Priscilla Pfeiffer, and welcome to Spark Your Inner Fire, a podcast for artists, performers, and closet creatives. You bring a lighter, and I'll bring the fuel. It's time to spark your inner fire. For those of you who don't know, I actually used to perform with snakes. I know that sounds weird. (laughs) That may sound weird, but I've actually owned two snakes in my life. First was a ball python. His name was Bob. And my second one was an albino Burmese python. And his name was Elvis. Elvis and Priscilla, get it? Now, let me give you a little visual of what Elvis looks like. Elvis was the man. He was about eight foot long. And you got to picture me. I'm five two, eight foot. He had a lot of headspace on me and he was an albino Burmese python. So he was yellow, beautiful snake. He was beautiful. So I would do these specialty acts with my snakes. Uh, I'd be hired for events and corporate events and on stage shows. And I typically belly dance or I would do meet and greets so people can hold them. And it was really cool seeing people who have never held a snake in their life overcome their fears before my eyes. It was the coolest thing. So we were doing this show one time and we were rehearsing with the snake was going to be in the number. And there was, I think, about six or seven dancers that were part of this production number with me and Elvis. So many of the dancers are terrified. They're terrified of Elvis, but we have to do this number. So I'm doing my best to just get them acclimated to the snake. And so at various points, you know, backstage, I would let the dancers hold him and pet him and just get used to him being around. So they were all kind of okay with it, you know, especially the ones that were really afraid. But there was still quite a bit of fear happening between Elvis and the dancers. So Elvis was behaving himself pretty well. He's being very nice to everyone. Until we started to do the live show. So the set piece had this frame that we were dancing in front of. And about halfway through the number, the dancers were instructed to go behind the frame so they were out of view. But the frame was really low to the ground, maybe two or three feet up. So they had to duck and like be in like the fetal position on the ground <laughs> just so the audience couldn't see them. You, you guys have no idea what happens behind the scenes <laughs> sometimes. So they're back there and I'm in front and I'm dancing with Elvis. And remember, he's a lot longer than me. So I can't always see where his head or his tail is. I'm just holding him from the center, right? And I thought the number went really well. Little did I know that while I was dancing, Elvis decided he wanted to have a little bit of fun. It's like he knew. It's like he knew which dancers were the most terrified and he went towards them. He didn't hurt them at all. He didn't hurt them at all. Let me just preface that. But it's like he could smell the fear. So these dancers that are behind this frame, ducking down as small as they can, Elvis starts coming over the frame with his head and going really close into their face and they can't go anywhere. They can't go anywhere because they have to be hidden out of sight. And all they could go is down and they're towards the back of the stage. So you can't even go backwards. They're cornered by Elvis, just going further and further, trying to just sniff them. (laughs) Can you imagine the looks on their faces? I had no idea. Just dancing, doing my thing with Elvis. No idea that his head was two feet away from me, taunting the dancers. So when all was said and done, we all just laughed about it and we still do to this day. But you know what that made me realize? It made me recognize the assumptions we make and the stories we tell ourselves about a person, about a thing, about an animal that we really don't have the facts to. 
They're stories that have been created by our past circumstances, through the influences in our lives, through our experiences, and by the people that raised us and that were around us. And essentially, their stories and their assumptions about things and people and animals, in this case, typically would come on to us, and we would take on those stories and those assumptions. While I was telling that story about Elvis, what were you thinking? Were you thinking, oh gosh, I would have been freaked out, ew, gross. Or maybe you're thinking, oh, poor animal, why is everyone afraid of him? Whatever assumptions you made about snakes in general or about Elvis in this case were possibly made before you had all of the facts. What you don't know about Elvis is that when I got him, he wasn't doing so well. Somebody who had had him prior to me was abusing the snake terribly. He was infested with mites and almost killed him. He was malnourished. He wasn't fed. He was essentially abandoned. And he was fed so little when he was young that his growth was stunted. So this snake was actually supposed to be upwards of 16 foot long because of the type of snake. But full grown, he was 8 foot. And he never really got big. He was always kind of a skinny snake no matter how much I fed him. The other thing you may not know about Elvis is that he never bit anyone. He never bit me and he never bit anyone around me, ever. One time, he needed to get this medicine because he had a respiratory infection and I needed six grown men to hold this snake so that we could put the medicine in his mouth. And we were being as gentle as we could, but I mean, we had, they had to hold him so that I could help him with his health. And even through all of that, he still didn't bite those people or me. This snake was the most docile, well-behaved that I've ever seen or held or even heard stories about. He was a very sweet snake. So where else does this show up? We're making assumptions about what this snake is and what it must do and how dangerous it must be. Just based off of our past stories, what we believe to be true about snakes, where else is that showing up? Amy Larson said, many of us have the propensity to assume certainly about person or situation. It's a mental laziness, really. Truth is, there are subtle factors and immensities of seemingly insignificant details just a focused thought away, and that once known, would turn our reality of assumptions on its head. With all the division and disagreements happening right now, I see so often that the root of some of these disagreements are simply assumptions. Assumptions that you've made, assumptions I've made, about a certain person, certain party, a certain religion, assumptions and stories that we tell ourselves in our head that we, we believe to be true. This must be true. If that person is this, then that equals that. And it's just not the case. We don't have all the facts. We don't know their background. Just like for Elvis the snake, you may not have known that he was an abandoned snake that was abused. You may have even assumed that he was dangerous just because he's a snake. But there's snakes out there that are really bad. Yeah, yeah, there are. How sad for those that assume that every snake is bad. So I want to challenge you to start questioning your assumptions. In the last episode, we talked about questioning the, the self-talk that we give ourselves, the stories that we create in our mind that we believe to be true about ourselves. And now we're going to switch that around. What are the stories you're telling about others that you don't have all the facts to? There's a quote that says, your assumptions are your windows on the world. 
scrub them off every once in a while or the light won't come in. If you're making assumptions and creating a critic inside your mind, do you think that you may be doing the same to others? I mean, you're doing it to yourself. Start questioning how often you're doing it to others, creating these assumptions, creating judgments, making assumptions off of what we see and what that means and what we believe to be true. So ask questions, try to understand, lower the assumptions made about people, about animals, about situations, and look inside. What can you do to change? What can you do to shift? Because in order for us to shift what's going on, it starts with you. Are you spreading more assumptions that may or may not be true? Are you spending diligent time working on yourself to grow as an individual, to be the better person? Have the courage to ask questions and do your part to understand. Sometimes we're talking so much that we won't slow down enough to maybe hear the other side, to understand what's going on from their point of view, from their story. Be empathetic and do your part in understanding what others have to say. It may surprise you that we're less divided than you think. Question your assumptions, every single one. Question if they are false. Ask yourself, how do I know this to be true? Everything, including assumptions. It may surprise you that sometimes people are acting from a state of fear. Maybe their actions are because they are thinking that they need to protect themselves from something or someone based off their own assumptions. Have you ever thought about that? That other people are basing their actions on their assumptions? So you adding your assumptions on top of their assumptions doesn't help anyone. It just continues this cycle of assumptions and judgments and stories that aren't healthy. So it starts with you. It starts with me. It starts with us working on our own assumptions and our own judgments and our own stories that we say to ourselves and about others. This is how you can shine your light. Keep shining your light and spreading more love. We need more love. Make it a great day, everyone, and keep shining your light. It's Priscilla Pfeiffer. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. Please subscribe, leave a comment so I can reach more people like you. And go to sparkyourinnerfire.com. I have a special gift for you. Go check it out.